0: Well, good morning church, you can be seated. So glad to be with you today. My name is Mark Duncan, I'm the pastor of students and outreach at Salem Chapel. And I just want to say welcome to you, uh, both those that are here today and those of you that are online. I want to say a special word to those of you that are tuning in online today uh, and hear this coming uh, from me as one of your pastors. And as some of you, if you're not seeing you face to face for maybe like five, six months, and I just want you to know uh, that we haven't been able to gather together, uh, you may be out of sight, you're not out of our hearts. And We've been praying for you, and uh, we're praying that that God is is revealing himself to you in this time, and we look forward to when we're able to gather again together with you in the future. Well, Church, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we have uh, entered into a new teaching series this summer that we've entitled Sunday School Stories, Lessons Learned to Lessons Lived. And The reason that we picked that title for this series is that a lot of the, the stories that we're looking at in Scripture, they are invitations that Jesus has, interactions with people in the Gospels that are often taught uh, when we were children. You know, many of you if you grew up in the church like I did. Maybe your experience was like mine in your faith tradition. You went to Sunday school before you went into the big service, you know, maybe, uh, an opportunity for your teachers to teach you these stories. And I will say, though, you know, I have a great memory of many of those stories and the teachers that taught them. But I think often in those stories, the temptation can be because I'm familiar with it or because it was sort of presented to me as really like a, a moral story, about how to to be a good person or how to be nice or, you know, how not to make God mad or whatever the thing is that was taught. I can take that and be tempted to not think that there's anything there for me today. And so what we're looking at in these stories are real people interacting with a real Savior and the implications that the gospel has in in that situation, how that it applies to us. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter number 19. Matthew, chapter number 19. And we're going to be reading verses 16 to 22. And while you are turning there, I was going to ask you today, if anyone else had the experience this week, the joyful experience that I did in the midst of a, of a difficult time in the middle of a pandemic, a bright spot emerged this week that made me extremely excited. You might guess what it is. Baseball season, man, thank you. And so other people are excited about that. Yes, a lot of energy about baseball this morning. That's great. All right, love baseball season. For those of you like, I hate baseball. I don't understand it. It's boring. I'm sorry, okay? Just bear with me on this. It was supposed to start back in April, okay? So we've had to wait a while, uh, and so it's finally starting. I was really excited about that. One of the things that some of the ball teams have been doing in this time to make it uh, available and accessible to us, since there's no fans allowed in the ballparks right now, and some of them got really creative, and how can we make it feel like there are fans present in the, ball, in the ballpark when there isn't actually anyone there, and so my team, the Oakland A's, and a few others have come up with this idea of making these cardboard cutouts of fans, I think I've got a picture of that to share with you, <laughs> and so this is like legit, what you can do, you can go, you can still do it, you can go on their website. And you can pay, I think it's like 80 bucks or something like that. And it, and it goes to help pay for the people that work in the ballpark normally. It helps them out. But you pay 80 bucks, you send in a picture and they make a cardboard cutout of your face and put it in the seats for the whole season, okay? And I think there's even like a, a bonus if, if your face gets hit with a baseball at some point in the season, you get like tickets next year or something like that. Very creative idea. You know, they even went like, the A's went like to the max with this idea. They actually hired Tom Hanks to do a voice voiceover of a hot dog vendor, and so they actually filtered that in to the fake crowd noise and the other things that are happening during the game. It's kind of insane. I'm looking at it, I'm watching, like, I wonder, actually, now this has really got me thinking, especially this fake cheering, like, if that's actually fake cheering that's happening normally during the baseball season, because if I'm honest, there aren't a whole lot of fans in the Oakland A's ballpark on a good day, so um, it got me thinking. Anyway, I, I, I enjoyed that, but here's the reality. When I look at that screen, anybody that looks at it, and you see these those faces that were up there, no one is fooled into thinking that those are real living people, right? That's pretty obvious, you know, especially you tune in game after game, like, oh, the same guy sitting right there. I saw one picture where they accidentally, or maybe on purpose, printed two of the same lady, and she was like within the same visible distance, you know? So no one's fooled into that. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's happy to be at, at the ballpark. You know, and it got me thinking about that. You know, as people... We spend a lot of our time and a lot of our energy trying to maintain a, a facade, if you will, of who we are as people. Of our happiness, you know, of the things that we're about, of our successes, the things that, that we hope to see happen, our plans. We spend a lot of time and energy in putting forward like a public representation of what that is. You know, I think about it kind of like that cardboard cutout. You know, If I had one of those cardboard cutouts, he'd be smiling all the time, but in reality, that's not my experience, right? I'm a, I'm a living, breathing human person. So we bring that back into what we're looking at today as we get into Matthew 16. And we think about the offer that Jesus makes to each man and woman when it comes to what it truly means to be alive, right? John 10.10 10 says this. We, we read this verse, quoted it often uh, here at Salem Chapel. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly of course in that moment Jesus is speaking first and foremost of a spiritual life I've, I, I'll bring you to life spiritually you are dead before me but then he also takes that further and says life abundantly that gives an idea and points to the fact that that spiritual awakening a spiritual life impacts the physical as well in an abundant way I think about it like a river and then like a huge rainstorm comes. And what happens to that river? It sort of like overflows its banks, doesn't it? The reality of my relationship with Jesus Christ impacts the rest of my life. It's how I can have unlimited hope in the middle of, of dark days and challenging times. It's how I can have joy in the middle of, of heartache. Just like we just sang in that Graves into Garden song. You know, there's dancing when, when there's mourning there. That is because of the abundant life that Jesus offers to each person that puts faith and trust in Him, right, And maybe we've heard that, and we believe that, at least here. Sometimes in practice, we don't see that, especially maybe in a time like this, where things are hard. And that facade that we've put up is challenged in ways that it hasn't before. So I'm hoping today, as we dive into God's Word in Matthew 19, that you will be both challenged to consider the facade that you and I try to put up, but then also encouraged by the reality that Jesus is still on the throne. He's still offering abundant life, and that's for us today. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 19, if you're not already there. uh, Verse number 16, and I'm just going to read it all the way through, so just read it along with me, and then we'll go back through and unpack it a little bit and see what God has for us today. All right, so verse 16, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All of these I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That's what I want you to remember as we dive into this today, as we talk about the abundant life that Jesus offers. That abundant life is mine when Jesus is my greatest possession. Abundant life, that abundant life he offers is mine when Jesus is my greatest possession. All right, so we'll be looking at that here in just a second. So first of all, let's just break down what we read there. So we've got a guy, he's a young man, we we know from reading the other Gospels, uh, specifically Mark and Luke, they tell the same part here, they share some of the same story, that this young man was not only extremely wealthy, which is what we kind of focus on at the end there, but he's a young man, so he's in the prime of his life, if you will, and he's some sort of a ruler, okay? In fact, you may have heard him called the rich young ruler. It may even say that in your Bible right there. He's some sort of an authority, whether like the leader of, of one of the, the, the temples there or maybe he is like a Pharisee or a member of the Sanhedrin, kind of the Jewish uh, ruling council there. In some way, he is in charge of something. So if you think about it, those are really, that's really like the trifecta. You know, if we could measure like what the world's view of like what success would be, that'd be the trifecta, right? Like I got cash, I got my youth and I'm in charge, okay? Like those are the things that everyone sort of like aspires to have. Like if I could have it all at the same time, it seems like it doesn't work out, right, that way. But this guy, he had it all. Like he literally had it all. And so he comes to Jesus and he asks him a very important question, a good question, all right? He just, he didn't know how he was asking it, right? Like he said, what must I do or what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And on the surface, like it's good. He wants to know how he can have eternal life. Problem is, I don't know if he's ready for what Jesus has for him and what that's going to cost him. I also don't think he understands uh, what it means, what Jesus fully offers. When he's saying eternal life, put it in his phrase, this is a guy that has everything now. So from his perspective, he's asking, if I could paraphrase, Jesus, how do I keep the good times rolling? Right? How, how, do I just, how, do I just, how do things just get even better? Like, one life is really just too short to enjoy, enjoy all of this. So how can I have more life, right? And I uh, yeah, appreciate Jesus' patience there. Uh, when he, but he, Jesus never answers directly. I love that too. Jesus never gives him, like, the answer right away. He asks him another question. He says, okay, you're asking me what good deed must you do if you want to go that route. Why are you asking me what's good? Why did you come to me to define what good is? It seems like maybe you already have an idea of what that is. Why did you come to me? And then what does he say? He's like, there's only one who is good. What is Jesus doing in that moment? Sort of giving the man an opportunity to recognize what? To recognize who he is, right? Because what's the answer to that question? God. Right? Only God can define what is good. So he's like, why are you coming to me? Notice the man called him teacher. Right? So he already had an idea. I kind of think about it like our modern day uh, like preachers that we can podcast to. He's like, I've listened to all of the teachers. Right? Like, I, I, I watched this guy on Sundays. I listened to this guy on Wednesdays. I've heard all the things. And I heard about you, Jesus, really... I don't really think that you have something to offer. I'm more or less intrigued why people are coming to you. So since I'm intrigued, tell me what you think I should do. Right? So sort of, he wants to add that like a a feather in his cap. Right? I talked to the Jesus guy. And Jesus is like, there's only one who is good. What's he trying to draw his attention back to? He's not just a teacher. He's not just a good man with good advice and sound wisdom. He's God. Give him a chance right there, just laying it out for him. So first thing for us today, how do we know, how do we answer that question? How do I know that Jesus is my greatest possession? Unfortunately, we have to use the example of the man here as kind of like an antithesis of how we should think because he gets it all wrong, right? So we have to go in the opposite direction. How do I know? When Jesus is my greatest possession, I will recognize his authority. I will recognize his authority. I will recognize him for who he is, not someone to supplement my life, not someone to tell me something, just the things I want to hear. Not someone that I can pick and choose what parts of the things that he said that I want to follow and obey, but God Almighty, the author of good, and the one that determines you know, how, how I should respond to that. What, and so this man says, why are you at, God, Jesus says, why are you asking me what is good? He says there's only one who is good, but then he kind of plays it out further. The man's like, what good deed must I do? He's just aching to do something. Please just tell me the step that I need to do. And so Jesus is right, all right. If you want to earn your own salvation, if you want to earn that, keep all the commandments. That's what you have to do. All right? And think about that. That's a bold statement, isn't it? I mean, specifically, even only the Ten Commandments, if that was it. Now, he quotes, Jesus quotes him a few commandments we're going to see here in a second. he lays those out for him. He's like, keep these. If you're able to successfully keep all these, then you'll be, in your own right, able to stand before God and make a case for that, right? So he lays it out there for him. What I do appreciate in this is is Jesus is also defining his authority in that moment to say, like, it's not gonna come from my own words. He's repeating the words that God has said. So regardless of what this man believes and his interaction with Jesus, as we're gonna see towards the end, it's sort of a sad response, But regardless, that doesn't change. This is where every single person stands on the face of the earth before Jesus Christ. We stand with that burden over us. That if you would be reconciled to God and if you would have eternal life and experience what God has for you, the only way you can do that yourself as a human is if you somehow are able to keep all of the commandments and not break God's law in the little bit. Now, how many people have ever done that? Only one, right? right. Only one. And it wasn't this man. Jesus was telling him, you know, if you knew who I was in this moment, you would do what I've called you to do. And, and as we think about that, if Jesus is my greatest possession, and we think about his word, you know, the Bible actually calls him the word, and that's, there's not coincidence, because these are the words of God for us, through Jesus to us for our good. If we are obedient to that, if we're following what he, has, what, what he has, then we are showing that we submit to his authority over us. I think a lot of times I like to pick and choose, right, which verses I like to use for the moment. And there's some that made me feel uncomfortable because I know that I don't want to, I don't have to deal with that reality. But if I understand his authority, I'll take him at his word. I saw a t shirt this week that said, it's just three words, and I loved it. It said, Christ over culture. Christ over culture. I think sometimes that one gets flipped the other way, doesn't it? Like in, in my mind, sometimes even it's easy to kind of start thinking one way and then fear, oh wait, what does Jesus have to say about that? You know, instead of the other way around. What, what, what went on there? What if there's another shirt that said "Christ above my fear"? All right. Before I, I, I spiral into fear, I'm going to God's Word to hear what He has to say. What His authority is. Christ above my feelings. You know, I feel passionate about this. I feel angry about this. I feel frustrated about this. Where have I gone with that information? Where have I gone with those feelings? Christ above all. The word of God, Christ, his authority, looking through that is like a lens that I look at the world at through. And I make my decisions based off of what he said, not off of what I think and what I feel. That's what you do when you recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. When I see and recognize who he is, guess what? Guess what I also see Clearly. I recognize myself better. I'm able to see those blind spots. And this guy has some blind spots like we do as well. So let's keep going. This is the second thing this morning. When Jesus is my greatest possession, I will reject my own autonomy. All right, that's the other side of that coin. If Jesus is who he says he is, then that means something about me, right? And And what he calls me to do in my response. And so let's keep reading in verse number 18. Jesus said to him, or excuse me, the man said, or Jesus said, if you'd enter life, keep commandments. The man said to him, which ones? You know, I appreciate that question. Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. In that moment, I can just imagine the guy standing there with like a clipboard, and like, he's like, all right, which ones? Okay, so he's writing them down. He's like, oh, check, check, check. Yep, check. Now, here's the thing. I for, I, for no minutes at all, have ever considered the fact that that guy actually kept all of those, right? Like, I hope, you, I hope you can relate to that as well. That's a pretty bold statement for him to make. Now, definitely, he obviously didn't know who he was talking to, right? <laughs> talking to God, he knows everything. He didn't know that, so he's like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, of course I've kept him. I mean, as far as you know, right? <laughs> so, I've kept all the commandments. Yep, got those. And so, he's just checking off boxes. Uh, what's interesting to me is Jesus is, he obviously didn't mention all the Ten Commandments there, did he? Uh, He mentions five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Uh, And the reason he did that is because all of those are what you would say your community facing laws. These are laws that affect other people. Right, your wife, don't commit adultery, not stealing from your neighbor, not murdering someone. Those are all outward facing things and Jesus knows in this man's heart that's really all that he's mostly concerned about is what's happening on the outside and that's sort of the part of like being a Pharisee and going along with that sort of lifestyle is like I have to put on an appearance of holiness. So there are some things that I will do or I will not do purely so that everyone can see me and admire how holy and righteous I am. Right? And so there was a blind spot there to recognizing. I may have done the outside external things, but as Jesus is going to show, there's some internal things that need some work. But I do appreciate the man's question after he says, I've done all of these. In the last part of verse 20, he says, what do I still lack? I think that's really telling. I believe instinctively, instinctively, even if someone were to live a really good life, And there are good people that live a good life and do good things. But even if someone were able to live a a relatively good life, they would recognize there's still something dramatically missing from their life without Jesus Christ. Because that would get exhausting. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to keep up that level of appearance? Knowing the reality that's in my heart. It's like, there's got to be something more than just me doing good stuff. Because something inside of here is broken. The things that I think about, the things that I'm afraid of, the things that I'm worried about, no one sees that. It's like that cardboard stand-up at the baseball stadium. I got a big smile on my face, but on the inside, there's something bad wrong. right? And this man is sensing that, what else do I need? There's got to be something more. Problem is, though, that in that statement, he convinced himself, I believe that he was on the same level as God. He's believing his own press, Right? I'm a young, influential, rich ruler. Everyone's affirming me all day long about how I've got my act together. I must be okay. And friends, I think that actually is a tie-in to the oldest lie in the literal book, in the Garden of Eden, when Satan puts a, a doubt in Eve's mind, and he says, did God really say you shouldn't do this? And in that moment, Eve decided Hey, you know what? I think I can make the calls that only God should make. And before we throw too much blame at her, remember that's exactly the same place that we come from as human beings when we decide what is better for us. When we reject what God has said, right? So this man is on this place. He forgot the teachings of the prophet Isaiah, which would have reminded him that our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. Right? There's literally nothing, the best thing you can drum up, dude, is not enough to stand before the holiness of God. So what's our takeaway from his example on that? See, when Jesus is my greatest possession, when I understand that the reason he came to earth lived a perfect life, the only one to do that, and then willingly gave up his life in my place. When I understand that personally and believe that and holding on to that, I embrace my, the fact that I can't keep the law. Like, I know that. It's just like we sang about earlier, shame into glory. Like, I understand that about myself. I, I don't have the desire to be my own God because I know how that works out when I'm in charge. I, have, I, don't, I, don't, I don't allow my hopelessness to justify myself. I recognize that my dependence is alone on Jesus to save me. Just like if a person is hanging off of a cliff. Ever seen like, those cartoons where like, someone's hanging on by a root? It's like, it seems like every cliff in a cartoon has a root hanging off the side. Right? Someone's hanging off the cliff by the root. And let me tell you, like, there's no casual relationship with that root at that point, is there? When you're holding on to that, you're holding on with every bit of strength that you have. There's no like, optional way of getting out of this scenario. right? That's the, that's the, the, the idea, that someone ha- that has been transformed by Jesus, that has put their faith and trust completely in him, is holding on to him so tightly, they cannot entertain anything else that would give them that way out. That's why they call this message the gospel. It's good news, because broken people like me, and like this man, and like you, who can't keep the law, Jesus is making that abundantly clear, just a second, can't keep the law, can have hope, because Jesus kept the law, and I can grab onto him, and he can go in my place. He's my savior. And that's where we, we pull up this word sometimes that we address. We only hear it in the, in the Bible these days. We don't use it in common language. This, this word of Lord. Lord. Right? Calling Jesus Lord. And what does it mean to identify him as Lord? Back in the days when there were lords and ladies and, you know, vassals and all of those, you know, knights and fun stuff like that. Like a Lord back in that day was like in charge, not only like of a parcel of land, but of the people that were in there. It was his responsibility alone to make sure that they were provided for and taken care of. And the people's responsibility to that were to surrender to the will of what? To the Lord. Right? And so when we say Jesus is Lord, that's not a half-hearted commitment. That's a complete, complete commitment. Jesus, and Jesus will not share his lordship with anyone or anything. And that's where he's going next here. This is the last thing. How do I know that Jesus is my greatest possession? When Jesus is my greatest possession, I will repent of all my idolatry. I will repent of all my idolatry. Here's, here's where it continues in verse 21. Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, right? He's still saying like, hey, if you want to play that game where you feel like you can earn your way back in, if you want to be perfect, if you want to meet that goal, go, sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and what? And come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Right? He had great possessions. What was the problem in the man's life? He had a lot of the external things in play. You know, he had the boxes checked. He had the persona that looked like he was doing fine. He had all of the physical metrics of success working in his favor, right? Money, power, his youth. But he was lacking something critical. Jesus exposes that in that moment. He says, remember, Jesus only shared like the commandments that were facing the community. What is the commandment that the man has neglected all along? It's the first commandment, which is what? Have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. This man was obviously had a hidden part of his heart where he was putting all of his faith and trust into these status symbols that he had acquired for himself. And he was trying to share that place with God. Here's a a quote from Hudson Taylor, he's a missionary uh, to China for 51 years. And he said, How few of the Lord's people have practically recognized the truth that Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. He's Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. You catch that? There's no way that there can be two Lords in my life, two people leading me. It's going to come down to a decision, and unfortunately for this man, he left that day sorrowful. Why? Because he recognized that the Lord that he was serving, that he was unwilling to let go of, was money. And he couldn't let that go. He wasn't willing to let that go. Now, here's the thing. Money may may be the the greatest temptation for you to put faith and trust. That may may resonate with you. You know, power and youth, those are all maybe things too. But the reality is is our hearts are idol factors that come up with creative ways to worship ourselves. Really is what it comes back to. And my ability, just like this man, to do something to earn God's favor, to do something that matters, that counts for something. But here's, here's the reality we need to understand. and This is not a political statement. It's just a statement. The kingdom of heaven isn't a democracy. It's not a democracy. We don't get to elect who goes into power in the kingdom of heaven. What is it? It's a monarchy, which means what? It has a what? A king. And that king will not share his throne. But the reality of the heart of a person is, is we elect kings all the time in our hearts. You know, it it may be something like money for a season. It may be even in this season, it's tempting to think, you know, I've lost my job. If I could just get a job and get some cash, things would work out, right? That's a very real thing that we experience. It may be that my idol is comfort. You know, I'm, I'm scared. I just want things to go back the way that they were. And right now, that's what I'm holding on to with every essence in my body is, God, just please get me through these next few months. You know, I mean, it could even be something really applicable. It could even be a vaccine. God, if you would just give me this vaccine, Right? God says that anything that I set up as a functional God above him is an idol. That's what this young man didn't see. Sometimes those things are things you see easily. Sometimes it's a little bit more devious. And listen to me on this. This is where we all get a little uncomfortable. It's when we start taking Jesus and we start combining him with other things. right, hear me out on this. Believe it or not, we can make Jesus himself into an idol of our own making. Let me give a few examples. Have Wall Street Jesus. This is the version of Jesus who is primarily concerned for my financial and physical well-being. He wants me to be healthy and wealthy, you know, and that's that's his greatest goal for me is to have a lot of money. All that's a real that's a real thing that we struggle with, isn't it? Like Jesus is only in my corner as long as it's getting me cash. All right? Wall Street Jesus. Here's another one: personal safety Jesus. Jesus is all about keeping me safe and comfortable and making sure my situation doesn't get too crazy. That's kind of a shallow version of Jesus, isn't it? Right? But that's a reality. You know, personal safety Jesus. Here's one that's not popular right now, but also very, we see it all the time. Political champion Jesus. This is Jesus who only aligns with my particular social political views. And the rest of the things he has to say in the Bible, those can go, right? Right? That's a temptation, to make Jesus into somebody that he is not. In in reality, all of those examples are Jesus with my face put on him. And man, we like that version of Jesus. We like the version of Jesus that doesn't push us. We like the version of Jesus that's calm and meek. We don't like the version of Jesus that wields that sword and comes in With the word of God and pierces to our very heart and reveals that there's an idol in place where he should be, do we? That makes us uncomfortable. In all of those situations I just laid out for you. In each of those situations, you're asking Jesus to abandon the Father and to follow you. But it doesn't work that way, does it? What did Jesus say to the young man? You go get rid of your idols. You go get rid of your faults, gods, completely. Like, there's no hope. Once uh, those, those possessions are sold and it's given away, it's not like he could go back later and get it. Like, I want you to abandon it all and I want you to follow me. And really he hit on all three of the areas that this young man found his most value in. All right, he hit on his money. Right? Hit on that right away. He also hit on that authority piece and that ruling piece because if he was gonna go follow Jesus, guess what? He wasn't gonna be at the office or at the tabernacle, wherever he was doing his thing anymore, and probably he'd get a bad reputation because he's following Jesus now. That crazy guy, right? And he also hit on his youth when he said, You'll have treasures in heaven. Like now's not the time, now's not your best life. Right? Your best life is yet to come. Right? That's the tension of youth, right? Like, I want, I want everything and I want it now. Jesus hit on all of those things. Why did he do it? He was trying to show the man, as good as you've worked on the outside of that facade and maintaining that smile, maintaining that fake holiness, you've missed the relationship with the God of the universe. I've been reading the Narnia stories from C.S. Lewis to my daughters uh, recently. My youngest daughter hasn't heard them before, so we're going through it first time for her. And uh, one of the things I like, if you're not familiar with those stories, is the main character in that story is Aslan the lion. He's representative of Jesus Christ in those stories, if you're familiar with that. And when I was thinking about that this morning and, and realizing if there was a lion standing next to me on the stage today, first of all, that would be like the most amazing sermon illustration ever, but then second of all... There's, you know, I'm pretty convinced of something. I'm pretty convinced that I couldn't make that lion do anything it didn't want to do. And that's, that's the reality. If you think about it, Jesus, you don't tell, just like a lion, you don't tell Jesus what to do. You get out of the way and watch him work. That's how it operates, right? I said so this morning, as we, can, as we look at this and, and just being honest with ourselves, how very easy it is to let something else slip into that place of lordship in our life. And also how easy it is for those of us that are followers of Jesus to try to have a deal where we can worship both at the same time. That's not going to lead to me experiencing that abundant life that is promised to me in Jesus Christ. That's gonna lead to that place just like this young man where at some point I have to walk away sorrowful because I've traded the abundant life in Christ for all eternity for something small and temporal and shallow. I've traded the fullness of who I am as a person made in the image of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, for a cardboard cutout with a short time frame. So I'm going to ask you this this morning. First of all, do you recognize the authority of God in your life today? Do you see him as an authority? Do you see his words as truth? Do you recognize that? And through that, do you recognize that lens that as you stand before him, none of us can meet that mark? Not one of us, not the best of us, can come close to meeting that standard. That's why Jesus had to come, right? That's why it's good news that he died on the cross for my sins. Because through that, through me believing what he did, not what I do, I'm given life. Do you also recognize that the temptation is to put other things and people and even your own self into that place of lordship in your life? Can you call those things out for what they are? Can you identify them? It might take some work. It might take some intentional time this week. Say, God, what are the blind spots that I don't see? Will you repent of those and turn away? Now the call to you and the call to me today is the same. It's exactly the same as it was to that young man. He didn't take advantage of it. Jesus simply told him, you can either try to live in a way where you strive for your entire life to make a name for yourself, to give yourself purpose that you define, to try to find life in this, or you can walk away from that and you can follow me to life. And that's the call, that's the gracious, that's the hopeful call today, no matter where we stand at. that call is always still there. How we respond to it. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we recognize today our hearts, God, it's very easy for us to put up functional saviors that we rely on so heavily, God, things that are temporal, things that don't last, things that will fail us. And God, instead of learning from those failures, we often just substitute it with something else. I pray today we would have an awareness of your authority over our lives, first of all, that we believe that your word is true, that we would respond to it. God, we would also recognize that we have no Right to think that we can run our own lives. And I thank you for the reminder this morning that my hope is not found in what I do, it's in what you've done. God, when I say, How can I do something good to earn this? You look back at me and say, It is finished. God, I pray today if there's someone in this place that has never in their life personally trusted Jesus to be Savior and Lord, that today they would do that, not by something that they do, but by something they believe that you have done for them. And God, I pray for us today that our believers we follow Jesus, we profess it with our mouth, that you would help us to do the the work of looking in our hearts today, repenting of the ways that we've tried to prop up false king and help us to follow you and I know we can do that in Jesus name I pray amen